Hello and welcome to the D&D 420 podcast. This is a show dedicated to helping you become a better dungeon master. I'm your host, Eric M. Hunter, and I am a struggling game master trying to figure out how to tell a better story. Joining me shortly is Jimmy Shields. He is the creator of D&D 420 and an avid D&D fan with over 30 years of experience. In this episode, I present Jim my map, a brand new town, and a very cool little uh, enemy to deal with uh, in my world. And we discuss the importance, especially for me as a player, turning into a DM to create a world, how important it is to do everything kind of all in the same step. Okay, so did my homework. Um, actually, now that I'm looking at my uh, what I sent you, I completely forgot one thing, which I'll get into later. Um, but the thing that I am most proud of is I drew a map, uh, which will I'll post on this episode's uh, show notes page. You drew and it. Hand, I, like a, you hand drew the map. I did. Well, so here's why. So because okay. um, we talked about those map create uh, creation tools probably three episodes ago now. Yeah. And they are amazing. Don't get me wrong. But I, for whatever reason, I feel like I'm much better at just drawing the map by hand and then fixing it from there rather than taking the two or three hours. It's probably not even that long. But to learn how to use that, even though probably down the road, having learned how those websites work to build those maps, my maps could be fucking amazing, you know, within a couple of months and then I'd never draw another map in my life. But right. Um, That's kind I don't of where know. I am right now. Yeah, well, and the other thing is, too, um, because, again, and I mentioned this in the last episode, this was something that I was missing. I wasn't building a map as I was creating this world, and I didn't have a real sight of what this world looks like because it's just in my head. Now, by taking the time and drawing this map, not only do I have, I think it's something like 10, 9 or 10 different regions that are all named, Um I don't have really anything else for him, but I have a That's better fine, sense. That's fine, right? That's fine. Exactly. Yeah. Like I've got room to work on now. Yeah. Um, and I got to, I have to do a lot more detail in the map because like pretty much all I did was, was create the, the boundary lines for all the provinces and then built the mountain range that the machines part in. That's pretty much it. I don't have like any, um, like, you know, forest areas or like, um, lakes and that kind of, I'm going to put all that stuff in there too. But, um, what, I feel like this is done for me is giving me a clear sense of my world. So this was the big thing that I was missing um, was not having this map. And because of that, like I know exactly um, I, I have a clear path of as to what to do now, because I think I, I mentioned that in the last episode, I felt like I was like, Oh man, I'm kind of ready to play. Like, I just want to campaign now. And after I drew this map and really started looking at the world I was building, I am nowhere near ready, in my mind, to campaign in this world yet. I think you're close. I think that you're right where you right where you need to be at the precipice of being able to start writing. I mean, continue, not only continue writing for right. expansion and all of that for the gaming world, but to start writing a campaign. Because... That's going to help you fill in a lot of gaps as well. You write a lot of things for your campaign that are later going to be considered you know, part of your world or history, which, which is another thing I, I actually forgot to talk about is your recent history. We have kind of a um, 
a backlog, like way back a creation myth or whatever. We've thought about those things, but have we thought about the last hundred years? These are the most important recent events in our lives. Like you and I can talk about what's happened in the past 20 or 30 years with ease, the, sure. gr- the greater events that have happened. And, you know, if we start talking about it in game, not that that happens a whole lot, but can we? Can we talk about as an, uh, a bartender or a peasant or a merchant or another adventurer what's going on in the past few years? Can right. we talk about that? I mean, I can't right now. No. But it's definitely like the only thing of that 100 years I can think of was because when I, when I initially made um, the breakdown for St. Angst, um, I said that they came from somewhere else and that they journeyed here and then they stayed here because they found the machine. And I realized that the as I was drawing the map, I was like, oh, well, this area that's right below it to the east, uh, which I called um, Neglar, it's completely surrounded by mountains and water except for this tiny little um, opening that's like far east. I was like, okay, so if they traveled that far... They traveled through the mountain range, and then they looked even further east and saw more mountains. The last thing they're going to do is go east because they just walked. They just walked. They traveled so far already to get away from these mountains. There's no way that they're going to try to, well, how far. They don't know how far these mountain, this mountain range goes. You know what I mean? Okay. So that would make them go west. And then when they got back and fell into the mountain range is when they found the machine. So in my mind, that makes sense, that travel from okay. one region to the other. That's good. And there could be events that happen along the way or tragedies right. or or um, natural disasters, perhaps. Any type of thing that you can talk about for what happened then, you know, what colored that trip, what right. happened next, um, how long have we been here, and what's gone on since. And that's going to be paramount for your biggest city as well. So you've got uh, Bellspro, which is the biggest city, right? Correct. And it's going to have um, kind of a necessary backstory as well of, you know, a lot of history for the past few years, a little history um, for the past hundred or so years, and then ideas for anything beyond that were concepts. There was a war. There was a famine. There was these things that happened. They're greater events only. Whereas over the past hundred years, you might get a little bit more specific and then past 10 years or 20 years, you know, have lots of things that have gone on, you know, were there um, any ruling powers that have changed hands recently? Why? What happened? Because there's going to be a lot of very public officials who haven't been there their whole life or recently lucked into it and those make neat stories for ambitions and motivations and they help color that campaign setting as well because on a larger scale if you know especially as a dm what the motivations are for these lords that are under the king or under the the ruling faction right it makes it really easy to answer lots of questions in game that makes sense because uh, and it was something that we had talked about before like it's very it's about having you know the the tip of the mountain and the rest of the, of the mountains being underwater like you may never 
um, have to discuss exactly what somebody's motivations are. But like, if it ever comes up, like these characters need to have motivations that stem from history, that stem from you know political natures and that kind of thing. Well, there can be backstory going on in the world as well. Um, you know what's happening that colors the events. Or okay, so are you? leaving a town that's just a simple farming village to go adventuring and you go by the the king's city and it's a simple renaissance city it's it's at it's generic you know without right. having been at war having a reason for this guy to be there or a reason that the the captain of the guard earned his stripes or a reason that the grand vizier the primary advisor to the king, how he got to his place and how long he's been there and who he's affiliated with. These are a lot of deeper things that aren't things you you know start with, but those things are things that you'll color in as you build your campaign. You don't necessarily want to do too much right now or you'll drive yourself crazy. Um, leave that space there. Leave it. If you have cool ideas, you can plug them in during campaign building or if you still leave a few blanks or little missing pieces here and there that's okay maybe a character writes a backstory or a player writes a backstory for their character and you go oh my gosh i don't have anything for my wizards guild and that's awesome what you came up with was beautiful can i just expand on that and say that's who you work for and they've created it then and they've helped um, come up with something you never would have that's why I feel like coloring in those blanks is so good during campaigning. Yeah, that's because that's what gives the, the flavor of the world, you know, because, again, we talked about this before, but I think it bears repeating that. Why would you create your own world if it's just going to be like the one in the book? If it's going to be like the one in the handbook, then you might as well just play the one in the handbook because it's all the work is there. You know, like there there needs to be something very interesting and you need to, you know, the take the time to make the that this world really feel flush and lived in and full of life. Actually, I have um, another method we were going to talk about either next week or maybe we'll get to it today. Could we do um, it this, today? Well, this might be a good segue, um, <laughs> is the plagiarizing method. Because you've done a lot of work, Eric. How long have you been doing this now? Two months? I mean, just, just yeah, oh, yeah, okay, yes. So you've been working on it for a couple of months, six to eight weeks, we'll say. Um, and you've been doing quite a bit. I mean, it's it's consuming your time, right? Sure. Um, yes. My yeah. wife no longer knows me. My kids forgot that they've had a father. Um, right. See, that happens. It's getting, it's getting bad. That, that happens. So, <laughs> but, but, I mean, it does take time, and it takes energy, and it takes thought process, and sitting down and writing. It takes all that stuff. Um so there's another method, say, plagiarize the game world you like. Um, and if you want to do some creation, you just rename some things, change things around, use a different landmass, change some of the people. Um, because if you like writing storylines on your own and you don't want to use pre-written modules that take place in some other world, then this is the easy way to start today. Right. And you just change things as you need to and just plug them into your world. I mean, rip it right off. That's what it's there for. That's, you know, take my Wilderdark campaign setting and change it up. Take a piece off. That's how it actually came from the Underdark. I mean, it sounds exactly the same. It's the same thing. I completely plagiarized the Underdark, gave it a complete, breathed a whole different story into it, and cut 
um, ties off with the surface world and made it my own, made it unrecognizable. But I basically started with the Underdark, Menzaberanzan, the Dark Elf City. Yeah. So, or Menzo Baranzan. I don't know how to say it. Yeah, I don't know how you mean it. It sounds fine. <laughs> either way. I'm, both are probably wrong. Um, yeah. <laughs> Only but, one person truly knows. R.A. Salvatore. That's right. Get him on Twitter. I'm sure he'll tell you. Yeah, I'm sure he would. <laughs> anyway, back. What, what was I don't even know what I'm talking about now. That That's what happens. Plagiarizing. Plagiarizing. Plagiarize the world to death. Change the things you need to change, but keep most of it the same. When you're at a loss and you don't know what it what to say, you can always go back in the book and find out and use that lure. And it's there for you to steal, to rip off, to beat up, to play it exactly how it is or play it not at all. If you're going to run a campaign setting, the problem that happens for me is the players may know more about it than me. And I don't like reading other people's campaign settings as much. Right. Not as much as I like writing my own. I mean, it's okay. I like glancing through them and I like picking pieces and saying, hey man, you did this beautifully or um, or what have you. But I really just don't like memorizing all that lore when I have this sprawling world in my head. And a lot of people have that but don't have the time. So if you just rip off Greyhawk or if you rip off Dark Sun or go back and do a setting that that's what they're doing right now with 5th edition. They're using old things and rehashing them strad is back you know um the salt marsh is back and you you just keep reusing them and changing them over time because they have a timeline and the DD timeline is awesome they do a beautiful job uh my hat's off to the fifth edition writers their lore is really nice as compared to some of the older when we had a really good setting like dark sun we took notice because it was heads and shoulders above some of the other sludge that was being written. And there was right. a lot of it. There was a lot of sludge out there. So sludge. there is, there's a lot, but uh, yeah, if you just, you want to do it that way, you want the world to be your own, you can rename things and then players don't know as much as you. That's the reason to do it. If, right. if your players aren't going to read it and you like it just fine, sure. Run a, run a, pre-written module in a pre-written campaign setting but my guess is you're not listening to this podcast because that's how you feel exactly like, <laughs> i mean um, if, in case you haven't noticed i've labeled every single one of these episodes as world building dash like <laughs> it's so dash stuff that we got high and talked about there you go um it's funny that you would even mention plagiarizing because I completely plagiarized the map. <laughs> um, well, not plagiarized, I guess. Um, I borrowed, I generated a map uh, randomly using one of the. I, I wish I could remember which one it was. I could probably look it up real quick. I'll link it in the show notes. And I saw that. And I was like, "Oh, this is really this is exactly what I'm looking for. It's kind of this this landmass that's all together." Um, there's a, I mean, there was a ton of regions. So I was like, ah, oh, this is way too many regions. Um, but it's like, everything was very interesting looking. And then I just did that thing you did when you were in school and took a blank piece of paper and my pencil and just kind of like with my eyes, I traced the map on the, on the, my computer and then did it with my hand. Do you know what I mean? Sure. And then made liberties because 
I, you know, is I just I, unless if there's something very specific that I was going to say, like, oh, well, okay, there's a break in land here because, um, you know, this meteorite fell down or something like that, I can just easily rope in. You know, I could easily just write that in somewhere. But like when it comes to like the general landmass, I'm not. I didn't have like a whole lot of reservations as to what was required. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah, I want it to look cool. Yeah, and that was pretty much it. Like I wanted it to look cool, and I, I think it looks pretty good. I mean, again, I got a lot of work to do, but I think it's it's got a lot uh, of potential. It's I think it's good just for, um, say, showing a group during a campaign of like, okay, here's where you are. And it's like, all right, cool. It's like, yeah, so, you know, when we talk about Bells Pro, it's over here. When we talk about Westbridge, it's over here. You know, like, you have an idea of, like, traveling distance. And, you know, at the end of the day, that's, for me anyway, as a player who plays, you know, not necessarily with miniatures, but more just, like, you know, in the in the mind's eye, um, that's enough for me. You know what I mean? Like, I just need to know how long it's going to take us to get over here so I can quit asking people. How, about, yeah. how long it'll take us there? Two days. All right. I, don't, I know that now. It's 800 I- miles or whatever. I can tell you this, that when I first started DMing, my maps were as simple as dots and shapes. Um, Dots represented, this is a city or a town, and the shapes were roughly like, this is the kingdom or whatever. And I only used it so that I could describe the mind's eye detail to how long things took. I didn't show it to players at first. I didn't I didn't do those things. And you can easily make that kind of map if you don't want to have... Here's the thing. If we went back to Renaissance times, how good do you think their maps were compared to what we have now? We're drawing these maps and we're saying this is accurate. This is exactly how far it is. This is what the landmass looks like. Exactly. This, yeah. and, but that's using... That's, yeah. Using magic, maybe, but now you're talking about all these magical cartographers and stuff. How does that exist? Is that in your world? Did you think of that? Is it there? Um, if you've got these gorgeous maps, include that in your world. If the player has access to it, you're picturing your character looking at it. If they have that, put that into your game world. Make it make sense. If your character right. can look at this extremely accurate map that's down to the mile and shows you all of the formations in perfect form, then make it make sense. Otherwise, they aren't pretty maps. They're right. kind of goofy looking, if anything. So yeah, that makes sense. So you know, I have actually had a really good friend, uh, Jeremy, who who played a character who was a cartographer, and he had his own business, cartography business, where he loved to explore territories and map out the regions and. And he was really good at it and sold his mm-hmm. maps far and wide. Uh, he hadn't had a cool name for it. I just can't remember what it was. <laughs> it's got to be a cool name. He was a ranger. Of course he was a ranger. So, you know, put, add that lore into your world if you those maps do exist. Otherwise, they're merely for reference. And your characters may not be looking at maps of that quality. Right. So think about what kind of map you want to do. You know, obviously, I like to make my maps beautiful, and it is part of my gaming world. Yeah. Um, and I show that in the style of maps that I produce for each area, what type of maps the people there have. So each one looks wildly different. I kind of did that on purpose. Um, 
So, but yeah, so I mean, it's, um, but yeah, so building the map is just, that was what I was missing. That was the linchpin. That was the, you know, the, the missing factor that was kind of holding me back from um, finish, you know, the continue building this world. So. Yeah. And I like that you use, well, they headed this direction because that was the only direction to go. And then they ran into mountains. So they went this direction and it, it tells a story. The map starts telling the story for you. Right. And some of these other choices that we're making start to tell the story for you. And that's what we're looking for. We're looking for those points of inspiration that help move us forward as we tell these stories to our players. So, yeah, I mean, it's um, so if I obviously any kind of takeaway was definitely build the map as you're building the world because um, it gives you an idea because it as 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 any good adventurer, you know, once you create enough of what you already know or have already done into the map. And you've got this all this white space. You're like, huh, I wonder what's over here. And it's like, well, let's figure out what would be over here. And then you kind of build from there, which goes into my other two pieces of homework, which was uh, created another town or whatever city. Um, and then the other was um, having a bad guy or like an, um, what did you call it? It was like a beast. Did they have a, shoot, I forgot what, I forgot what you called it now. But it was like the, just that danger, that, that beast, the, the, to fear within the world. Yes. yes. Um, so I created um, an I an area, which again you can look at the map uh, and through the on the show notes of Oglad, and it's one of the biggest areas. Uh, I made sure I made it to one of the biggest areas. And Oglad is uh, my description is it's mainly covered in forests and grasslands. Oglad is fairly undocumented uh, to the indigenous population in the area that are known as the um, Oglad, Oglandans, uh, there's freshwater springs scattered throughout and would be considered by some a vacation paradise. Adventurers will sometimes journey into Oglad, uh, seeking for ancient treasure and the scraps of the Oglandians as tr- trophies. But the, uh, area is heavy with wildlife vegetation, uh, and some sort of, um, that's still foreign to some of the, uh, the surrounding areas. Um, and then the the Oglandans are basically just. Um, I said that they were basically orcs, uh, orcs, but or ogres. Sorry, what the hell was that? Orcs, ogres. They're basically ogres, uh, but you know, feral and animalistic, and um, you know, they use crude tools like spears, sharpened sticks, and rocks to fight with. Uh, they don't speak in any sort of tongue that is recognizable by the surrounding folks. Um, they are bipedal, but will run on all fours to shorten a distance between their foes. Uh, many times they attack in small groups and are, uh, constant without really thinking about, uh, thinking through a battle plan. Um, they seem to have some sort of affection towards one another, uh, but the survival of the band and the survival of the band, but will sacrifice one another, uh, if there is no other alternative. So again, it's very bare bones, um, it, I was trying to create something like you had in your world uh, because in your world, you don't have orcs or right. ogres. Um, I do have ogres. I don't have okay, orcs. Okay, so you don't have orcs. I don't That's have what goblins. I don't have, I don't have any of the goblin goblinoids except for bugbears, and bugbears are just bugbears. Right. They have their uh, own language so in my you... game. So Yeah, so I made Detrith in that. Right, so to describe what Detrith are. Uh, Detrith replace gnolls, goblins, and all goblinoids. And they are a very feral hyena man, very similar looking to what a gnoll might be. But they never stop growing. So when they're born, 
they're a pup and they're like that feral you know wolf man of when they get to about four feet tall they're considered adults and they never stop growing so you fight goblins you know the they're they're goblins when they're four feet tall and uh such and such age which i think is about 10 years old and then they can get up to seven or even eight feet tall but they're still detrith and they get more ferocious every year so i have basically four different iterations three to four different iterations of detrith that have stacking abilities so when they're this old they get this when they get this old they get that right you start to add them on and they're very feral they have pack tactics they're uh they're just very dangerous um and they're very cunning they're wild they they operate similar to like a wolf pack and um they use these really primitive weapons that are uh, very cunning so um i spent a lot of time writing about them and placing them in areas of my world and they it gives my world a feel you're not fighting goblins you're fighting these detrith and um it's and it's it's something new and it's exciting yeah and like anybody who comes into my game for the first time they have no idea what they're fighting for the you know i don't care how much dnd you've played you come to my world you're fighting a bunch of different monsters and there's going to be a lot of humanoid interactions and you'll you'll understand those fights better of course but uh, maybe not you never know what you're getting into with people um so yeah and if i remember correctly you had a very cool um way of introducing them into battle which was the their weapon they had like these hollow Oh shit! You you could do a better job of describing. Uh, oh that. yeah, the the hollow bamboo spears that are carved out along the sides. Um, so, the the premise I used was how a kind of like a silencer works. The reason the silencer works is because it disperses the sound, and to a small chamber and deadens it. Right. Right. And so, there are holes inside of the silencer. That are allowing that sound to escape as the bullets coming out into a suppression chamber um if that's opened up then the sound shoots out the sides right and so i made it to where the tubes they carve into the tubes all these tiny little holes and little patterns so that when they throw it it whistles out the side yeah and it sounds like that whistle is coming from everywhere except for where that spear is thrown from and it's and there was a couple of times that I remember like we were walking in some like super dense um, forest areas that I want to say we had maybe a halfway a mediocre to poor tracking situation and like and then suddenly you hear that whistling and it's like oh man like it's it's kind of terrifying <laughs> yeah, and they'd also bang the spears together to get oh that's right yeah. They would, it would be, I always do it as a clack, clack, clack. Yeah. Um, so that when you hear that for the first time, you think, well, that's where the detrith are. When the whole idea is to get your attention over here when other attacks may be coming from another direction. So if you've never encountered detrith, that's something that they had is these really intelligent battle tactics. And each band had their own type of tactics that they would use. Like the right. clack, the clacking, um, w- may come from the main force. Sometimes it may come from a lone detrith. Those si- those signals, each detrith band uses them differently, so you never know exactly what it might mean, but that you are fighting detrith. 
Yeah. And so yeah, it was something it was, else. Yeah, it was a lot of fun creating them and getting their tactics down and um, giving them the abilities through throughout the different. Because I've had Detrith around since second edition, <laughs> so. Oh, so, okay. So they exist in several editions and several forms. Um, and they're a little different each time, which is cool. And I'm really enjoying the fifth edition version of them that I've just created over the past year or so. Um, but yeah, it gave a totally different feel to what you're fighting. It's something I understood and something that um, I really enjoy doing. And you can do the same thing, arguably. You don't need to reinvent the wheel. Some people might say I'm doing that, but... When you're playing with people who have basically have PhDs in D&D, it's nice for them to get to right. fight these type of monsters. And I enjoy creating it. I enjoy the, the storytelling um, aspect of creating these monsters and the backstory for them and all that stuff. So it's something new. It's something fresh. And even though now that some players have played in my game world for 20 years, they still really, I'm sure they still really hold a dear spot in their heart for these Detroits. You've been fighting them now for what, 12 years? Oh man, it's been at least yeah. <laughs> it's been a long time. And that's but always yeah. the first encounter in my games. Not always, but you know, often enough. That's yeah. the first thing you're gonna fight some Detrith. And I like it because it's um I mean, it's just like I don't wanna say it's I was getting ready to call it basic, but it's not basic, but it's like a very it's a solid it's a solid creature. It's not technically super obvious as to what's going on but there's also not a whole lot of like quote-unquote surprises you know there's not somebody who's they're not gonna have like a magic item or something crazy like that you know what i mean like um but yeah it's just like a good solid like it's all about the numbers like the more you have the harder the fight the fight's gonna be you know what i mean and the bigger they are the harder it's gonna be yeah so i was trying to create something like that uh was what my plan was uh cool but again it's bare bones i got a lot of work to do but the reason I and let me give a supporting one supporting reason another reason for doing this other than it's new and fresh to people who have fought goblins their whole lives as players. Mm-hmm. Um, the other reason is um, man, it was just on the tip of my tongue. Stoner moment. What was I gonna say? I had a whole thing and that did my lead up. That happens. It does. Oh, because I feel like the D and D books you have all these books full of monsters and if you put them all in your world and you try to make it make sense your world is either cluttered Mm. or huge mine is neither um everything makes sense and so if we're adding monsters to a world in reality if we want it to really make sense we start adding dragons and we start adding beholders and mind flayers and bugbears and goblins and kobolds and all these other things aboliths you start adding all of these things into a fantasy world your ecology is fucked a real world ecology doesn't exist in the same way you have to change it completely and like to think of all of the ways that's going to work and be realistic about it it's going to be very difficult so if you're creating a game world and you're adding all of these things in that's something the writers for wizards of the coast have all the luxury in the world is they're on a team Uh, they get to confer with one another right um they are paid to do it for 40 if i had 40 hours a week sure oh yeah totally I don't know how those guys get paid. I don't mean to assume, and I apologize if anybody hears this and's like, "Oh, that's not how it works, bro." But, um, but my my point is that 
when that finished product comes out, there's at least a few people who have put info or input in on it. Right. So um, I'm here working alone and I get my players involved a little bit uh, as much as they want to. So that's another good reason to create your own bad guy. Instead right. of having a hundred different things, you make it your way. It's easier to make it make sense. Yeah. And it's fun too, because I will know that character like the back of my hand, because I will be creating every single stat. I will be, you know, test playing it, um, all that stuff, you know? So, but yeah. Um, so obviously I know what you're going to say. You got a lot more work to do. And I do. I'm going to start exploring some more of these areas. I'm going to work on the map a little bit more, um, make it a little bit more prettier. A um, little bit more prettier. Just a little bit more prettier. Um, add some more, uh, what's the terrain, but what's the word? Geography? Is that right? Uh, t- topography. Is the uh, there word it is. Looking. There it is. That's topography. the word I was looking for. Um, yeah. Going to do that. Um, and then, I mean, I don't know. So what's next? I'll start just adding flavor. Now you're just seasoning um, at this point. At, well, you're still going to continue to build societies and right. um, cultures and things around the world. But the rest is, like I said, campaigning and history. You know, we're going to be doing writing a little history, creating a little history. Um, the cool thing about that as you play, sometimes you make up the coolest shit as you're going along. Yeah. Sometimes you come up with the coolest NPCs from a random worksheet. You know, I rolled for all of his abilities. I rolled for just random for everything. He's a random race, a random class, a random personality with random stats. And he turned out awesome. That happens so often. Um, I highly encourage people to try making NPCs that way. Make them random as possible. Like uh, I have these, I think I, I've shared them with you, where you just roll a die to determine all these things about your character, what their job is, yep, um, what their attitude is. Yeah, they're like, um, they're like just basically just like table books. Yes, like it's it's yes. amazing. Like again, it's things that you don't have to worry about because the work has already been done for you. Just go ahead and use it. You know, like take advantage of these tools. Yeah, try yeah. try uh, for you know making some of your NPCs doing that like say okay i want a leader for what do i really need in this area i need i don't have enough guilds or factions i need a new faction who are they going to be against what you know don't think about it roll for the faction leader yeah and make him the one who's making this faction move forward roll randomly for his race his class his alignment his job his personality his quirks if you roll random for all those things, sometimes you might get something that you don't like and you'd be like, I want to try to re-roll that because I don't want to work with that. But And that's okay. But when you get done, sometimes it looks exactly like what you needed or it adds something you would have never thought of. Now you got to start saying, okay, well, this is who this person is. Can I see what he's like in my head now? Oftentimes, right. you, you can. And you just start to, what 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 are his interests in this city you know what happened to him what was his backstory how did he become this person that he's become and what does he want to do moving forward and i even have now um i found some random generators that generate these types of backstories for me and nice. 
generate motivations. Like, really cool, man. Like, wow. it's so random. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, I just got more work to do. Okay, so next time, you're going to continue getting your stuff done. Um, like I said, I've been working in the meantime on Varendor, right. Kyoden, um, and I've got, now it's like this three different kingdoms on one continent. The third kingdom I still don't have a cool name for, but Varendor is a human and dwarf mountainous terrain, um, kind of techies. They also have oh. gnomes in their area. They've made blunderbuss, repeating crossbows, have great military. Um, the Their opposition is Kyoden, which is um, Kenku, Tabaxi, Kitsune, and some humans and other races mixed in as well a little bit. Uh, but they're more disciplined. Um, they're based on honor. It's almost like a Japanese-type feel. Um, kind of trying to go for in a way. Um, and they have a more neutral good bend, whereas Varendor is more lawful evil. And then in the middle, the nameless region is an elf kingdom with lots of other races mixed in, fey races mostly. Um, their uh, big, big thing is magic and connection to the fey wild. Um, so it's... Uh, chaotic neutral territory with no oh, okay. real with all kinds of different leaders and bands and people and different uh, motivations and there's always clashing going on there it's a very it's an extremely wild place in between these two juggernauts um so it makes for an interesting um the only way to get to each other by land is to go straight through that um elven kingdom or to go by sea so it's it's a neat setup i'm really yeah. happy with it i've got a lot written here um, i'm going to reveal some of that next week and we'll make all your stuff available as well and uh and then we'll go back and kind of criticize our work thanks for listening to this episode of the D D 420 podcast for everything D D 420 related check out dnd420.com if you'd like to reach out to us, you can find us there on the website and on YouTube at DND420. Lastly, as always, if you'd like to support the show, you can do that by telling another DM about the show and by visiting us on Apple Podcasts and leaving a rating and review. Thanks for subscribing and being a part of our work here at DND420. We will see you next week.